Hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, we continue. We left off. We're in Baba Kama, the seventh chapter, Pedig Maruba, and 66a on the top. So um, we dedicate this class to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, especially those on the front line. May all the wounded have a full and speedy recovery. May all the hostages return home safely. Yesterday we learned an argument between Abi Loy and Abi Hanina, a very sharp argument. If a person stole, if you steal a sheep and then it turns into a ram, or you steal a calf and it turns into an ox, it matured under under the thief's, uh, uh, when the thief uh, has it. So Rabbi Loy says that it changes, and since it's changed, therefore, now the Ganif acquires it. So when he goes ahead and slaughters it and he sells it, he doesn't have to pay the four or five times, four times the sheep and five times the the uh, ox, five oxes, three sheep, you know, four, four sheep, you know, one principal and a penalty of three or or one ox and a penalty of four. No, because it now belongs to him. Rabbi Hanina argues, Hanina says no. And we, they brought a Braiser, the Braiser says clearly if you steal a sheep and it turns into a ram or a calf and it turns into an ox. So you have to pay the double and you have to pay the four or five if you slaughter it. Or, and you sell it and you have to pay according to what it was worth when you stole it. The question is, so according to you, if, if why is there any penalty of four and five? You say the change itself, now the, the thief acquires it and now he's slaughtering his own. So he says, so he asked Rabbi Rabbi Loi asked Rabbi Hanina, how would you explain according to you if if you're trying to prove that it doesn't change, then why do you pay at the time the amount it was worth at the time of the theft? You should pay what it was worth at the time when you slaughtered it. Now it's a it's a ram. You stole a sheep, and now it's a ram. You slaughtered the ram. If it if changed, if it doesn't change, it's not a considered a change, and it still belongs to the owner. So you you so it, the change happened to the owner. It it's the owner's ox that appreciated the owner's calf that appreciated, and the owner's sheep that appreciated, and now is a ram. And you would have to return the ram itself. You would have to return the ox, and you go ahead and you slaughter it. You should pay five oxen. Why are you paying what it was worth? At the time of a theft, which then was only a sheep, it was only a only a ram, uh, only a, a, a calf. So he says, "No, that I could explain. That the reason is Rabbi Chanina says because even though it's not a change enough that the thief should acquire it, but he can argue, I didn't steal from you or, or, or ox. I stole from you a calf, a little calf. You know, it was one years old, or two years old." I didn't steal from you a ram, which is 13 months old. I stole from you a sheep, which is, which is uh, you know, a year or less than a year old. So why should I pay you four or five times? It's not what I stole from you. Okay, and then the mother says, and how would Rabbi Eloi explain the Braise? According to Rabbi Eloi, since it's considered a change, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to pay four or five times because it's you slaughtered your own ox. You slaughtered your own uh, ram. So Shachas explained that the, that Rabbi Loi would explain the price is going according to Bishame. Bishame holds that a sh- that change, a change does not is not considered a 
um, doesn't change its status. He quotes an argument between Beishamah and Beishilel. In the case of the Torah says that if you paid a prostitute, you paid her for prostitution, you paid her whatever you paid her, you can't offer it to, 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 to the temple. Let's say you paid her wheat, you can't offer it as a, as a meal offering. Or if, the question is, what if you changed? You, you paid her wheat, and then she turned it into, into uh, she ground it and, and turned it into flour. Or you paid her olives, and you turned it into, into oil. You paid her with grapes, and she turned into wine. Could I use the olive, uh, the oil, and the uh, the wine, the base amigdash, or the or the flour for them for the minchas? So we have an argument. Mishamai says you're not allowed to. Mishil says you could. What's the reason of Mishamai? Because it says in the pasuk, Taita says you're not allowed to use a gift of a prostitute for the base amigdash, and also an exchange of a dog. Anything that you exchange for a dog. The exchange you can't offer that as an as an as a sacrifice or the altar, and it says uh, it's disgusting. both of them. So gam gam also also comes to add, also comes to add. Even if you change it, it doesn't matter. We look at the origin. Since the flour comes from the wheat, the oil is squeezed out of the of the olives, the wine comes from the grape, and therefore, since that was payment. In lieu of prostitution, so you can't offer it. Doesn't matter that you change it. Basil says no. The Torah says shnei hem 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 contains the word. Both of them hem contains they. They means only they and not their change. As long as it's intact, the way in the same condition that was given to her, the prostitute, that that you can't use in the base of Megiddo. But if it changed, you ground the flour, the wheat into flour, you squeeze the, the olives into the oil. And you you extracted the wine from the from the grapes, then you are allowed to use it in the beis hamikdash. And uh, what would beishamay do with hain? So beishamay would say that the prohibition is only on. Let's say you gave the prostitute a pregnant animal, and so you can't offer that animal in the beis hamikdash as a sacrifice. But you could offer its offspring. And beisila says, I learned both things from them. Yes, that the anim- the offsprings are okay, and also as long as it's in an altered state, it's not in the same state. There's been a change; it's con- it has a different status. It's not considered. This is not the gift of the prostitute to change. What's Basil going to do with a gam? What's he adding with a gam? So the mother says Basil did not change his mind, but we don't know. We don't understand. Gam is a kasha. According to Basil, we need explanation. What does gam come to come to add? Okay. That's where we left off in the top of 66a. Basil says you learn both things from it. That uh, any uh, the offspring is allowed in the base of Mignosh, and if it change, if there's any change, then it's also allowed. And Basil Gam 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 Basil Kashimar says, Yeah, we don't understand. According to Basil, it's a question. What what, do we, what does gam come to add? So, so the b'raisa, so again, going back to the b'raisa, so the b'raisa that says that if a ganif stole, stole a uh, calf and it turned into a uh, ox, he stole a, a sheep and it turned into a ram, and uh, the b'raisa says that you have to pay four and five, this is following the opinion of Shammai, that a change is not considered a change. It doesn't change anything. 
But according to Beis that is considered a shame, the law follows Beis That's what Rabbi Loi said, that you would be exempt from paying four and five because he slaughtered his own and he sold his own. Okay, now the Gemara continues. At Kanli Pligil, the Masavashina Kainu, Masavashina the argument in Rabbi Loi, Rabbi Chanina. Is an argument whether the whole argument is whether a change is considered a change that now belongs to the Ganif and he stole his own, he, he slaughtered his own, he doesn't have to pay the penalty four or five times, or not. The Marsava Shinukain, Rabbi Loi holds a Shinukain, Rabbi Loi. And Rabbi Hanina holds a Marsava in Shinukain. Avelin Shlumi, when it comes to the payment, it comes to the payment. The price says clearly, you pay. The Ketani says in the price, you pay the double payment in the four or five. What you stole, you stole a, a, a sheep, so you pay four or five times the value of the sheep, not the value of the ram. And um, and if you stole a calf, four or five times. Twice or four or five times the value of the of the of the of five times the value of the cat of of the calf, not the value of the ox. So Lehman have you the rabbi that this this refutes this is a question this is a refutation to Rav the Rav we learned yesterday Rav says Ked and Kain should go now. Shalom Tashlum Kevus Mudal Zahei Kishasam Madabedin. Rav made a distinction. He says the Ganav you pay the principal you pay. The value that it was worth at the time that it was stolen, but the double, the pen penalty of double, paying double the amount and the penalty of four and five that you pay what it was worth at the time of the uh, when it was brought to court. And the Gemara explained what are we talking about over here. He says, if it's a case where it increased in value, it appreciated in value, if it appreciated in value, so then we have the principle of Rabba that since the title says you have to return the stolen item itself, so the stolen item is considered in the property of the owner who was stolen from. If it appreciates in value, it appreciates to him. His item became more valuable. So if you go ahead and break it, or the same if you slaughter it or you sell it, you've 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 destroyed it. Not only would you have to pay the the the, the penalty, the the double penalty, or the or the four and five times you have to pay what it's worth now. Even the principal, you would have to pay what it's worth now. Versus if it broke on its own, then I didn't do any. Additional act of theft, it was, it's all a continuation of the original act of theft that I stole it from you. Then you would only have to pay what, it's, um, what it was worth at the time that it was stolen. So when does Rav make a distinction that the principal you pay what it was worth when it was stolen? Only when it was worth value. And the, the rest, the penalty, the double, and the three, four, or five you pay what it was worth at the time when you come to court. So he explains, he's talking about... It was the opposite. In the beginning, it was worth four. It was worth more. And then by the time it came to court, it depreciated in value. So we say the principal, you have to pay what it was worth at the time of the theft. 
and the double, the penalty, the four and five that you pay, what it was worth at the time that uh, was brought, the court case was brought, was brought to court. Raisa seems to say both according to Rabbi Lo and Rabbi Chanina, both according to Rabbi Chanina, according to Rabbi Lo, explains the price according to Bishamai that since he's paying for the original theft, it's all a continuation of the original theft. So therefore, we have to since he stole a shehe calf, he didn't steal, steal an ox. He stole a he stole a sheep and not a, not a ram. So he pays everything. The principal, the double, the four and five, he pays according to the original, according to the original original amount. And Rab says not so. Rab says the only thing you pay according to the original, and therefore according to that, let's say it became cheaper, you would pay according to the original amount, the amount it was was worth at the time of the theft, because that's the reason you're paying all the all the penalties because of the theft, because of the original act. So you have to pay double whatever the original whatever the original value was by the time you stole it. Not like Rab who says that only the principal you pay the value that it was worth at the time it was of the theft. But even the penalty of double and all the penalties, you pay what it was worth if it, if it depreciated in value. From, you pay what it was worth at the time of the court case. So the Braise clearly refutes According to what it's worth now, is only if you're paying cash. If you, but if you're returning the original sheep, then you just have to pay four sheep, um, or five sheep, or double the sheep, or four or five, or whatever. Then, then, then you pay what it was, whatever it was, whatever I stole. That's what I'm paying. So that's what he's saying. You paid you. I stole a sheep. I'm paying you sheep. I'm paying you five oxen. Now it's an ox. When I slaughtered it, it was an ox. I'm not paying you five oxen. It was it was it was a calf. I'm paying you four calf. When I stole it, it was a sheep. Even though it turned into a ram, and I sold it and I, I slaughtered the ram, I'm paying you four rams. No, I'm paying you three four four four, four sheep. But if want to pay a sheep that's fine that's what you stole and that's what you're paying but if you want to pay cash when it comes to cash i have to pay even the double the penalty payment after i pay what it's worth now not what it was at the time of the theft it says you pay for sheep in the place of the sheep that he stole so when you're paying with sheep then it's similar to what you stole but when you're paying by any other means, except it's not like the original, identical to the original or the, the item that I stole. Then you say that the principal, you pay what it was worth at the time, the value that the principal was worth at the time of theft, and all the other penalties you pay, if it, if it, the, the, if it depreciated in value, you pay what it was worth at the time of the best. Okay, now the Gemara continues... A change affects that you acquire it, the thief acquires it. It's a biblical concept, it's written in the Torah, and we also learned it in the Mishnah. 
Exhibit says the Hishvashan goes on. The Taylor says that the thief should return the the, the item that he stole. Matamlimashel goes on. Why does Taylor have to tell me that he stole? The Hishvashagzela. It's enough. Why does he have to add a Shagazal? So Taylor's teaching me. Im Kane Shagazal if the stolen article is exactly as is. At the time it was stolen, nothing changed. And he has to return the, the item intact. He can't keep it. You can't just pay him. I'll pay you the value. I want to keep it. No, no, no. You have to return the item that you stole. But if he, but if he made a change to it, let's say he took wood and he, and he made a seat out of it, a chair. He made a piece of furniture out of it. So then, I don't have to give him back the item that I stole. It's been changed. And I acquired it. The thief acquires it. He has to pay the value. That's what that says clearly in the title. And Tanina, we also learned this in the Mishnah. The Mishnah states, we're going to learn later on in the tractate. If you take wood, if you steal wood, and you turn it into furniture, the utensils, or timber, I steal sh- or wool, awesome begotten, I turn it into garments. You pay, you pay the value according to the time of theft. I don't have to pay what it's worth now. I pay, I pay. So I don't have to return the item itself. I just pay what it was worth, what wool was worth at the time of the theft, or, or the wood, inami. Or we find also in another mission. This is a mission in Chulin, which discusses the shearings you have to give to the koyin. Reishis, I guess, the first of the shearings, when you shear the wool of a sheep. So he says, What if the owner of the wool didn't give the koyin? Before he died, it potter. He doesn't have to give it any longer to the koyin. He keeps it for himself because this is no longer the wool that he sheared. He made a change to it. Now, in this case, he doesn't even have to pay. It's not like the thief. The thief has to pay back the value. Here, he doesn't have to pay the value because there's no one to sue him. He, he, he can give it to any koyin that he wants. So, which koyin is going to demand it? Any koyin demands it. So I'll give it to another koyin. So, therefore, potter is exempt. Alma, we see clearly from the mission and this mission as well, Shin and Koina. And then Nabuchadnezzar is Yush, if the owner disappears. So Amri the Nick, the rabbis say that the thief acquires it. Since the owner disappeared, the thief acquires the object. And he doesn't have to return the item itself, he has to return the monetary value. But me, Eloyadin, in the eyes of the Rabban, but the Rabbi says, we don't know if this is biblical or it's only rabbinic. In the eyes, if you're going to say it's biblical, the reason is just like if you find a lost object, if you know you heard the owner, you heard the owner disappear before you found it. You, the, the finder acquires it. So I am also too here. Keeping the miyayish since the owner gave up hope, so the thief acquires it. Perhaps I can differentiate. It's not similar to He only acquired it after the owner gave up hope, so it was ownerless. So he had permission to take it. Hi, the thief. He took it into his possession illegally. He stole it. So therefore, years won't help biblically. It's only, only rabbinic.
Rabbinic, the rabbis say that since he gave up hope, he doesn't have to return the article itself, the item itself. He can just pay him the monetary value. The rabbis make such an enactment. Because they wanted to get a person to repent. They wanted to make it easier for him to repent. So, since he doesn't have to, so the rabbis say he doesn't have to return the stolen article itself. It's enough if he pays him the monetary value. As he says, he would he would have to exert himself to find the item itself, to return the item itself, otherwise he doesn't fulfill the mitzvah. Versus in a case where he doesn't give up hope, For the same reason, the owner doesn't give up hope because he can find it, so too it's not a big exertion for the thief to find the item itself to return. But in the case where the owner gave up hope, meaning it's very difficult, uh, he gave up hope because where am I going to find my item? So too it will be an exertion for the thief. But from Rashi it would seem that if it's not an exertion, then indeed you do have to pay back the item itself. Since biblically... Since biblically, um, the owner giving up hope doesn't really change anything. It was only an enactment to make it easier for some, for the thief to do true. That's the Rabbi's opinion. The spirit doesn't affect any acquisition, even even under rabbinic law. Not only biblical law, like he makes a distinction between the in the case of loss, loss and found. And uh, the case of a thief, since he, he took it illegally, but even rabbinically, the rabbis did not make any special enactment. And you have to return the, the, the stolen article, if it's still intact. We learn the Mishnah. We're going to learn later on in the tract. We steal Chametz and Pesach, and then it passed over Pesach. Well, the thief still had it, he passed over Pesach, so even though now it's worthless, because during Pesach, Chametz, not allowed to eat from it, not to benefit from it, and even after Pesach, you're not allowed to benefit from it. The thief can tell the owner, here, I'm returning the item. Because it's not a detectable damage. It's not, it's Hezek Shein and Nikr. You can't tell, I stole a piece of bread, and I'm giving you back a piece of bread. It's not obvious that uh, something changed, that the uh, now it's Pesach, and now it's worthless. So the question is, Surely when it came time to Pesach, surely the owner gave up hope of ever recovering it. Because it's Pesach, and I don't even benefit from Chametz. Or he knew that probably the thief will burn it together with all his other Chametz. So it's gone, it's gone, it's over. If you're going to say that yours is how can you say yours is in front of you? It's not yours anymore. Once it's yours, so the thief acquires it. So now it's the thief's chametz. It's not his chametz. You have to give me back money, the monetary value. It really proves uh, that it's not even a question that yours does not acquire it. And even if it's rabbinic, he should say it's yours. So I'm a little. When do I say that you acquire it rabbinically if the thief wants to acquire it? Here, the thief doesn't want to acquire it. He doesn't want to, doesn't want to violate the prohibition of having chametz and pesach. So therefore, it doesn't help that he, the owner, gave up hope. 
The thief does not acquire it, so it still belongs to the owners. After Pesach, he can return it intact. Here, it's yours. So you see that Yish is not like Hefker. Hefker, it's, it's no longer, if the owner is Mafker, he makes it ownerless, it's no longer his. So then the thief will not be able to say, here, I'm returning it intact, it's yours. It's not mine. Yish means, all it means is I'm, that it's still mine, but I'm giving anyone permission. If someone wants, he can acquire it. In this case of Hamas, no one wants to acquire it. Why should he want to acquire it? So therefore, it remains in the possession of the original owner. It's a by a challenge, Rabbi, we learn the Braise, Karbatne, the Taita says that you can only offer a, a, a burnt offering, a sacrifice to Hashem, a voluntary sacrifice. Loya Gazel, but not a stolen, not a stolen animal. Hey, Chedami, how is this? Elay Malifne Yush, if you're saying, you're talking about a case that he consecrated a stolen animal before the owner gave up hope. I need a puzzle. Obviously, it's not his. How can you make sacred something that doesn't belong to you? Of course, he can't offer it. I don't need a special puzzle to teach me. Surely, we're talking about Lacha Yush. The owner gave up hope. And therefore, I would think I need a pasuk. I would think that since the owner gave up hope, so therefore I do have a right to consecrate it, and I could offer it. So Shmami no usually kani. So this, so the Torah is coming to teach me that years does not acquire it. Doubt, maybe, maybe it's biblical. How do I know? What do you mean? Surely it's it's maybe it's biblical. Surely, maybe it's biblical that Yish is kaina. It's only rabbinic. Clearly, we see here that the Titus says Yish is not kaina. That's why the Titus says that you can't offer it as a sacrifice. It doesn't help that the owner gave up hope. It doesn't matter. You, the thief, did not acquire it, so you can't make it sacred, and therefore you can't offer it as a sacrifice. So if we would say that Yish does, you do acquire it by through Yish alone, so therefore it becomes the thief's. Then when the thief consecrates it and he has a right to consecrate it, it's already his and you can offer it in the altar. Because there's no connection, there's, been, there's a disassociation between the original owner and the, and the, the, the fact that it was stolen. That's, that's ancient history, no connection. It was stolen and he has to pay back the value to the owner, but this animal now is his, legitimately his, the thief's. And therefore he has a right to consecrate it and he has a right to offer it. It's not even a mitzvah above Avedah. There's no connection. Yes, he's stolen. He has to pay a monetary value of the animal. He will have to pay the owner. But the, 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 the animal itself became legitimately his, and he has a right to consecrate, and he has a right to offer it. So why does the Tater say, Veloya Gozel? So you have to say that even though it is consecrated, a sacrifice that is consecrated, how could it be consecrated? If if Yush, if you're saying Yush is not acquire it, if the thief does not acquire it with Yush, then it's not consecrated. He doesn't have a right to consecrate it in the first place. So I don't need a pasuk to tell me that he can't offer it. It's not a it's not a sacrifice. He can't offer a regular animal uh, in the base of Migdash, Only a sacred animal that's been designated and, and, and sanctified. You don't have a right to sanctify it if, it if it belongs to the original owner. No, but in this case, it would be considered a sacrifice. And nevertheless, the Torah has to tell me you can't offer it as an offering. Why would it be considered as a sacrifice? Because you have a combination here of Yish, the owner gave up hope, together with a change of, of possession. 
because by making it sacred, I'm transferring it over to the, to the hektish. Just like if I sell it, if the owner, even if you hold Yish, does not acquire it. The thief does not acquire it. The owner gives up hope. But if then when the thief sells it, the person who buys it or he gives it a gift to, between the combination of years and the transfer of property, the two together, the, he does acquire it. So to the Hegdish does acquire it. The animal is sacred because the fact, the fact that he's transferring it over to the Hegdish, so between the years, since he made it, he sanctified it after the owner gave up hope, it's not enough for him to acquire it, it should be considered his. But between the Yish and then transferring it over to the, to the domain of the Hegdish, the animal would be sacred. And the Torah said, told me it's not a good sacrifice because it came, came from, from, uh, from theft. So this proves, this, this proves that Abba, what did Abba say? We don't know if it's biblical. Surely it's not. Yish is clearly does not acquire it. I'm later of it of according to you, according to your understanding. Rabbi says to Abaya, according to your understanding, that we're talking about a case that we're talking about a case where he stole an animal and then the thief made it sacred. Not that he stole, not that he stole an animal that was already sacred. The owner already sanctified the animal, and the thief stole this sacrifice from him. This designated, this animal has been designated as sacrifice. So, according to your understanding, the Brais Hadetanya. We learn in the Braise Mishkove. The Taita says that a Zav, a person who has uh, gonorrhea, unusual discharge. So if anything that the that the Zav sits on or lies on, leans on, it's contaminated. So a person will touch his cat also becomes a source of impurity. And any person who touches his couch is his bed is contaminated until the evening. So the person who touches him and everything that he's wearing or any utensil he's touching at the time, they will become impure until the evening. His couch. But not if this love lies down the couch that doesn't belong to him. Then it does not become an avatum. The couch, the bed, does not become an avatum. So Rashi seems to be saying, also the Rambam holds that that if you, the Sekzeris HaKos, the Taylor says that if you touch, if you steal someone else's couch or bed and, and the Zav leans in it, the Zav lies in it, it does not become Tameh. Taisu says it's, strongly disagrees, says, there's no difference. We're talking about, it's a similar case to the case of the sacrifice. That, just like in the case of a sacrifice, you stole a regular animal and you want to make it sacred. So to over here, you stole a, that's ready to be a bed, but the, the owner never designated it as a bed. And then you decide to make it a bed, but it's not yours to designate. That's the problem. So, so the Braises says, what are, what are we talking about? If you say that we're talking about, he stole a finished couch. It, it's not he stole a finished couch. He, he stole wool and he made it into a couch similar to the case of the animal. He stole a regular animal, and then the thief sanctifies it. The animal designated designates it as a sacrifice, and the Torah says that it's not his to to to, to render into a bed. If, if if he changed it, if he took an action, if he physically altered, if he took 
if he physically altered, he took wool and made it into a couch, of course he acquires it. There's no one who argues. If you take it and change it, you take wood, like we learned earlier, you take wood and you turn it into, into, into furniture. You don't have to return the wood, you have to return the monetary value, but the, the, the thief gets to keep it. So surely it's your bed, and of course you contaminate. Elamai, Yisrael, you have to say, we're talking about the gazel, Mishkev de Chavre, he stole a bed, a ready-made bed, he didn't have to change anything. And Rashi says that the Zeris Akasev, you stole a ready-made bed, a bed that's already been used. The Taylor says that the, the Zav does not contaminate your friend's bed, only your own bed. The Taylor vehemently disagrees and says, no, we're talking about, he doesn't have to change it. He All he has to do in his thought, he has to designate it as a bed. It's ready to go. But the owner never designated it as a bed. It's not considered a bed until the owner designated it as a bed. Then you steal it. Well, you don't have the power to designate it. It's not yours to designate, even in your... Th- so that's what the Torah says, that, that you don't have the power to designate as a bed, therefore it does not become a source of impurity, it does not contaminate. So, so, so just like over there, we're talking about a ready-made bed. We're talking about the, the, the owner designated it as a sacrifice. He already made it sacred. You stole a ready-made carbon, so the Torah says you can't bring it. So Rashi says that he's saying that even even the owner did not give up hope, and you have to return the animal to the owner. But if you the the as long as it's stolen, you can't even offer it as a sacrifice, even for the owner, because it's a stolen stolen animal. There's another explanation, but this is a very astonishing thing to say. It's, it's, it's very difficult to say. What do you mean? It's, if it belongs to the owner, you have to return the animal as is. Why can't you offer it for the owner? Why doesn't it atone for the owner? Why isn't it considered a sacrifice for the owner? So another explanation, Nachi says, no, we're talking about that he does, the owner did give up hope. And the Grabber says, maybe biblically, the owner giving up hope is enough for the thief to acquire it. But in this case, he does not acquire it. And he can't offer it as his own sacrifice. Why? Because you can acquire something that only belongs to the owner. Here the owner already transferred it to the Hegdish, to the Beis Amigdash, to the, the Mizbeach. He already sanctified the animal. He designated it already as a, as a sacrifice. So therefore, you can't change, you can't acquire it from the Hegdish. So therefore, it's not your sacrifice, so you cannot offer it as an idol. Hey, so Rabbi your challenge, Rabbi we learned in the Mishnah. We learned the Mishnah in Kel Eiris Balabayis Machshava Metamas. The hides of an of, of that belongs to someone. Just this thought is enough to make it susceptible to tumma. Because <clears throat> the owner has in mind that it's ready to go, he's not going to further process it. He's going to use it as is, so it becomes finished. It's considered like a finished item, it's, and therefore becomes susceptible to impurity. But the hides of a tanner, a machshavim, a tamas. Thought alone is not enough to make them susceptible to impurity. The tanner processes, and he sells the hides. So therefore, if his, if he decides to use it in its present state, it's not considered it's not considered final, the final word, because maybe a buyer will come along and he'll change his mind and he'll sell the hide to him. You know, the raw hide that it's not yet a finished product. 
and the buyer will decide to to to, to turn the hide into something and to, so therefore it's not definitive the thought does not make it susceptible to impurity the hides of a thief who stole a hides from the owner thoughts do do make them susceptible to impurity because the owner doesn't know who stole the hide so therefore he disappears and therefore the thief acquires it so now he's the owner he's a legal owner and therefore the owner just by thought is enough to render it a final finished product and therefore it's susceptible to impurity shall gazlin in the case the hides of a robber who stole openly by force a metamas. thought alone is not enough even if he the the robber thinks in his mind okay i'm going to use it as is why because the owner doesn't despair because everyone know he knows who robbed him he'll, he'll take him to court he'll, he'll sue him he hopes to get it back so therefore it's not his to decide it's not the robbers to decide but a thief he doesn't know who stole from him so therefore he gave up hope so now the owner acquired it and Shimon says the exact opposite the robber the thought is enough to designate it as a finished item that will no longer be processed and is susceptible to impurity why on the contrary, a robber, if Shimon holds a robber, he'll never get it back. A robber is, 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 is a bandit. He's not afraid of anyone. So how is he going to fight him, even in court? He can't fight with him. He's, he's, he doesn't care about anything. He did it openly. He, he laughs at the law. People have no power over him. He does whatever he wants. A thief, however... He's afraid of the law. That's why he's ashamed. He's embarrassed. He does it. He does it. Uh, he hides. He conceals. So he's hoping we'll have a good detective and we'll find the thief and I'll get it back. He doesn't give up hope. Again, but the principle is the same. That if in a case where you give up hope, then then you say that the thief, according to the the rabbis and the um, the Gazlan, According to Rab Shimon, then you say that it's his. He acquires it. And therefore, he's like the he is the owner. And the thought is enough is to make it susceptible to impurity. So we see we see clearly Yish is kinda this proves Rabba's point. Whether biblically or rabbinically, but the bottom line is Yish is kinda Amalais. Rabbi Yisuf answered to Rabba to Rabbiya. How come I you know what the mission is talking about? We're talking about a case where he trimmed, he did an action, he trimmed the high, he didn't just not in thought alone. He did an action. Everyone holds that when you do an action, he does change it and he does acquire it. This we just learned earlier that change, change in action, it's biblically it's not it's not Asher Gazal, it's not intact. It changed through an action of the thief, then surely you acquire it and you only have to pay the monetary value. So what do we so what what difference does it make if it's a thief or if it's a robber? If you take an action and change it, then surely you should be able to change its de- uh, finalize its designation. The Tesis says that Kitson trimming is not a full action. It's not a full-fledged action. It's only the combination of Kitson, a little trimming together with years between the two of them. 
then that's enough to uh, consider him that he acquired it, and therefore his designation determines uh, that it's done with and it becomes susceptible to impure. So the Gemara asks, We're talking about that he's designating this uh, hide as a tray. It's burn. Once he designated as a tray, tray doesn't need any trimming. The trimming is only for, for aesthetics. So even if you don't trim it, it should be susceptible to tumah. Now we learn in the Mishnah. We learned in the previous mission. There in Kaelim, If there's nothing missing, it's good to go. Then just rendering it, it's enough. Thinking that it's done, I'm not going to process anymore, and um, the thought alone renders it a keli, and it becomes susceptible to impurity. But if it's missing further processing, the thought alone does not make it susceptible to impurity. Since in general it needs further processing, so thought alone is not enough. The exception is a tray. Because the case of a tray, since the trimming is only aesthetics, so therefore, thought alone is not missing any processing. The processing that's done is just for aesthetic purposes. So the thought alone is enough to make it considered a um, a vessel. And that's the previous mission. So surely the next mission is also talking about a similar thing. That in his mind, he designated it as a trait. So what does the trimming, what trimming, why does the trimming make any difference? So surely the only thing is it must be the the fact that he made it ownerless that the owner that the owner gave up hope is the, the spear that alone is enough to make him acquire it not the act of of trimming trimming here doesn't mean anything. challenged Rav Yisuf with this problem for twenty two years and he couldn't answer. until. Rabbi Yosef, when the Rabbah passed away, because Rabbah was the Rosh Hashiva. In the beginning, they wanted to make Rabbi Yosef the Rosh Hashiva. Rabbi Yosef, out of his modesty, said, no, choose a Rabbah. And he was a king, he was a Rosh Hashiva for 22 years. Then when he passed away, they made Rabbi Yosef Rosh Hashiva. For 22 years, he didn't respond. But when he passed away, Rabbi Yosef became the Rosh Hashiva, he responded. He answered, Shini Hashem, Shini Hashem, Shini Hashem, a change of a name is the equivalent of a change of a physical change. my time. Why does a physical change help and help and affect acquisition? Also, because it changed. Before, before it was a piece of wood, and now it's a furniture, it's a utensil. Shini Hashem, nami. In the beginning, they called it mashka hide. Now it's called a tray. So the fact that you designated it, it's not just some, I'm designating in my thought. The designation changes its name. So the combination of changing its name together with the years, therefore the thief or the robber acquires it. So why do you need both? If a change, if a change alone is enough to change of a name. So it depends. Either Shin Hashem is not as strong as Shinei Maise, therefore it's not as strong enough alone, to stand alone, it's only together 
together with Yiyush. Or maybe this change is not such a big change between calling it a hide and calling it a tray. It's not such a dramatic change. Therefore, in this case, you need Yiyush alone. Or, in this case, you need Yiyush, because without the Yiyush, your designation doesn't change a name. Who gave you the right to designate it as a tray? It's not yours to designate. The owner didn't disappear. That's why you need both together. We'll stop here. Everyone have a wonderful day.